I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Uh, Thanks, Ken. It's good to be back with you again. There's been a lot of media talk lately by the Reserve Bank and others about the surge in property purchases using self-managed super funds. Could you perhaps give us your take on that, particularly as it relates to commercial property? Yeah, Ken, there has been a fair amount of publicity of late, and that's probably been brought about by the changes to the superannuation legislation, which has really created the ideal opportunity for small operators to purchase commercial property within their own super fund, and then to actually lease it back to their businesses. Now, you can't buy a residential property and then rent it out to yourself, but you can with commercial property. And so what that means is that the super fund buys the property, it leases it to the business, and more importantly, you're able to borrow to purchase, even though it's within your super fund. Now, you really do need to make sure you get the right independent advice from your financial planner or a finance broker who specialises in these areas. And what I can do is I I can dig out a a diagram which shows how the flow of these loans occurs. But the main condition, if you do borrow, is it has to be either limited or non-recourse, which unlike a normal mortgage, it means that the lender has no claim against any of the assets of your super fund should there be a default under the mortgage. In other words, the the transaction stands alone. And furthermore, the property itself needs to be placed in the name of what's called a holding trustee, which has to be different from your super fund's ordinary trustee, who is typically one of the members of the fund. So as I said, if you like, Ken, I'll include this flow chart under the podcast, which should help explain how this finance arrangement works. And as I recall, it was provided to me by um, CIA Tax, yeah, catchy name, CIA Tax. And there's a fellow there called Steve Endicott. In fact, I think it's Dr. Steve Endicott. He's a doctor of finance. And he specialises in helping investors package up acquisitions like this. And so it's probably worth talking to Steve and I'll, I'll find his details and put them up as well so that you can discuss exactly how this could work for you. Anyway, here are some of the benefits you can expect. With the ability to borrow, it enables you to unlock cash out of your super fund and to therefore fast-track the build-up of your wealth. Now, property, as you can appreciate, provides a diversity for your super fund where most people tend to have predominantly all the investments in stocks and shares and you use the rental income to help repay the loan because your your fund can enjoy the benefits of negative gearing and also it has a concessional tax rate on the net income as well. Now the limited recourse borrowing safeguards the asset of your funds and unlike other investments in your own name, the capital gains tax is only 10% on the sale of the property provided you've held the property for at least 12 months. And the the real advantage is that 
you can actually use it to lease it to your family business as well. So you need a good financier who's uh, familiar with this structure. And I found the Bank of Melbourne is probably one of the best because it has a specifically designed product they've called the the self-managed super fund lending solution. And that seems to be tailored for this very purpose. So hopefully that sheds a bit of light on it. And uh, we can certainly pick it up again if we need to in a later podcast. You mentioned the concept of non-recourse borrowing within your super fund. Is that something individual investors should also look at when buying commercial property? Yeah, non-recourse finance is interesting. Um, and it's something about which not many people really know a lot. And the idea of the non-recourse finance is that you are not required to put up any other form of security for your mortgage other than the property itself, which is why it ideally suits personal super funds. In other words, if you even if you, you're purchasing in your own name, it means that you're not required to cross-collateralise the loan with any other property to support it, nor are you required to provide personal guarantees. And for many commercial property investors, this is the only basis in which they're prepared to finance their their acquisition, because it just gives them the comfort they can sleep at night. Now, the only downside is that you can generally only borrow 60 to 65% of the value of your property. Therefore, if you wish to be slightly more aggressive and borrow 70% or more, then you will be required to provide a personal guarantee. But it it serves a, a good purpose, and if you want to be conservative, it's ideal. Um, the banks will still ask for guarantees, but I can tell you, if you get the right finance broker, you can get 65% and there is no requirement for a personal guarantee. While we're on the subject of finance, are there any things a husband and wife need to consider when buying a commercial investment property together? Whenever you're borrowing for commercial properties, as far as investment's concerned, it's important to keep in mind the most effective ways of claiming your tax benefits if you wish to maximise the return from that investment. And this is particularly so when the purchases are couples, because Working with the correct loan structure can ensure that the overall household tax burden is considerably reduced. And while each case needs to be assessed on its merits as to the most appropriate strategy, there are some general principles that may well help with ensuring your loan gets set up correctly. So perhaps let's have a look at a few of those. What The first one is you need to assign as much interest as possible to the higher income earner. Now, there are several ways of achieving this, but in terms of loan setup, the simplest method is to structure the higher income earner as the borrower with the lower income earner as the guarantor. Now, for a couple purchasing in individual names, the loan should be structured in such a way as to provide you with the maximum write-offs. In this case, it would make sense for all the interest to be assigned to spouse one. Therefore, a possible structure would be for spouse one to be the borrower and spouse two to be the guarantee, guarantor. But if that's not going to provide the best allocation of interest to the higher income earner, 
the loan could be split into two separate accounts, each with an individual borrower and the other spouse as the guarantor. If the purchase is to be made in a company or a trust, the exact structure would depend on exactly what you are seeking to achieve in the circumstances. And that brings us to the second point, and that's ensuring that the purchase structure is itself effective. Now, there are pros and cons in terms of both tax minimisation and asset protection associated with most common property purchase structures, and these include discretionary trusts, unit trusts, companies, and individually either as tenants in common or sole proprietors. Now, your purchasing vehicle should work in concert with your borrowing structure, and to produce the best outcome in terms of maximising your structure, you need to seek advice. And that brings us to the third point of, of getting that advice in advance of making your purchase. And here's where you really need to speak with an accountant or financial advisor before you commit to purchase the, the property. And that's to resolve the most appropriate structure and how the purchase will fit within your overall financial structure. Now, your debt advisor or financial uh mortgage broker will be able to offer you assistance with possible loan structures to assist with maximising the effectiveness of the purchase structure. And you get that professional advice to ensure that, that you fully understand the benefits and the risks. But it's also important to get the right professional advice to ensure you fully understand the benefits that can accrue. Now, the appropriate structure may depend on factors such as income distribution within the family, the cash flow to be derived from the investment, the depreciation benefits applicable, and also your longer-term goals. Now, also, the final thing you need to consider is what is going to be the worst-case scenario. Now, while minimising tax is often an important factor when you're considering borrowing structures, you also need to pay attention to the potential risks of the investment and how they can be mitigated. Now, for couples, this is perhaps an important thing to consider as the purchase of investment property usually forms part of setting up the long-term family financial future. And some of the risks involved, and you've got to, you've got to consider them, is the, the risk of where the market's moving, the tenant risk, as far as the substance of the tenant, regulation risks, as far as um, negative gearing and whether there are going to be changes to things like that, and some of the environmental risks associated with commercial property. Now, they're not insurmountable, and in, as an individual, you may not be able to fully understand or appreciate them, but this is where your team of experts and consultants comes in so that your due diligence is done and these risks are highlighted as part of the purchase uh, program to make sure that you go in with your eyes wide open, fully aware of the risks. And once they're explained, you can make a judgment call on whether you want to run with it or, or not. But it's important to have contingencies in place to mitigate these risks. And the, the best place to start would be things like reviewing your insurances with a, a trusted uh, advisor because just making sure that the appropriate insurance for the property is in place is important. And with commercial property, generally the lease will provide for the 
tenant to reimburse you for the premium of the cost of insuring. So it's up to you to make sure that you get the best advice to get the best coverage and that helps reduce the risk and enables you to sleep at night with a lot of comfort that all the avenues and and, uh, potential uh, downside has been addressed and contained in a satisfactory way for you. So that couples looking to venture into commercial property should ensure that they are getting that right advice before they make the acquisition because property can be a great way for middle to high income earners to minimise their tax while building a strong financial future. So it's important that you, you get the advice and it's hard to talk in these podcasts of the specifics and that's more something with a one-on-one or face-to-face discussion. But the, the benefits and the upside through structuring it properly for your finance, claiming the maximum depreciation are quite extraordinary and far outweigh the benefits that, that run with residential property. In a wider sense, are there any further tips you'd like to give us today before we finish up? Yeah, Ken, these, uh, these tips seem to have taken on a life of their own. Before I get to the some tips I might have today, let me just say that sometimes the best-looking property can actually re- represent the worst real estate investment you've ever made. And you've got to remember that commercial investing in commercial real estate is all about the deal, the terms, and the return on investment. So with the, keeping that in mind, let's just look at, at four, maybe, I don't know, five tips as we go through. So on the first tip, you need to be an investor, not merely an accumulator of commercial properties. Now that's important because the reason you make investments is to produce an income or a profit. So if you buy properties that produce little or no profit, then you're basically acquiring a property instead of making an investment. So it's not an ego thing, it's purely a bottom line profit issue. And the second tip is that you need to understand every prop commercial property has a definite lifetime or span. And one of the biggest mistakes you can make as an investor is to ignore the fact that over time you will need to spend money on the upkeep of the property, on the building itself. The building might need a new roof, or electrical system or security system needs to be updated so that every building goes through these phases, some more than others. And therefore, you make sure that you have a long-term plan to handle such repairs. Many of these can be identified early on when you undertake your due diligence. But even if the property does need work, so long as it can be factored in, um, made part of an upgrade program, then that improves the value of the property because the rent's higher and you get to depreciate most, if not all, the components that you put into that upgrade. So the third tip is that you need to focus on one commercial investment type at a time. And that's especially when you're first starting out. You should pick one type of property, either offices, shops, warehouses or whatever. Now, each deal needs and it deserves your undivided attention. So it's better to be master of one than average over many. And anyway, who wants an average underperforming property? So pick your niche market and become an expert in that. And that, to a degree, also is geographic as well as 
sector so that you can master that area, feel totally confident, and you are up to date, have the facts and figures at your fingertips so that you know at the drop of a hat that whether the property is worth pursuing or it's not. Tip number four is to get a mentor so that you can learn from his or her mistake. And mentors are going to save you from making costly mistakes. Identify when you've um, missed your due diligence items and connect you with resources that you otherwise wouldn't have immediate access to. And I think this is probably where this mentor program that I'm, I'm due to launch shortly is probably stem from is, is the request I've had from the various listeners to, I mean, it's a simple thing. If someone has a recipe for success, why do you want to work it all out for yourself? Why do you want to start to, to reinvent things or depart from something that has proven to be successful over the past 30 or 40 years? I mean, it, it's an adventure to go and do it yourself but it's not necessarily a most effective way to do it because most people are not full-time commercial property investors. They earn the money elsewhere, but they want to preserve it with commercial property and therefore they want to fast-track their learning and make sure that the investment decisions they make are soundly based and will end up being profitable. So the fifth tip is you need to determine whether your assets are properly protected. And we, we, we sort of covered that a little bit in the other one, and, and but that was more related to just insurance. Unfortunately, lawsuits can occur, and therefore you need to do everything to protect yourself. And so you need to ask the following questions is, how is your, your property protected? What do you have at stake if you, if you were to lose a lawsuit? Is your personal property, and by that I mean your home, protected from this asset and are your other investments totally separated from each other so that one lawsuit doesn't affect your other investments? Now don't try and guess when it comes to the answer to these questions. You need to talk to a lawyer to ensure that you are protected if you were to lose a lawsuit. Now I'm not being pessimistic here, I'm just simply saying that if you make the right decisions up front in the way you structure your investments, it means that you can quarantine any activities with one investment within that investment. And, I mean, who knows what happens? Unfortunately, the society is so litigious today, and this applies whether it's commercial or residential property, but you just need to quarantine any activity. And, and it's not that we're, we're expecting the worst but you need to, to, there are things you can do at the very beginning that will mitigate a lot of these issues. And as I said, you need a good commercial lawyer who understands not only property, but the implications of what can happen down the track. So I said five tips. Perhaps a bonus tip is, um, and we touched on this with um, the non-recourse finance, but when you come to partnerships or, or syndicates, it is important to have that non-recourse loan in place. And as I said, non-recourse means you're not personally guaranteeing the loan. Now, why it's important for partnerships as well as syndicates is that it gives you two distinct advantages. It allows you to be taken off the loan 
if the partnership goes sour, and also if the property were to fail for whatever reason, it won't be tied to you personally. So hopefully those tips will tie off the podcast for today and uh, we can pursue a few more next week. Okay, another good session. Thanks, Chris. Next week then? Yes, yes, I'll look forward to that, Ken.